the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, vets on duty. They say the political and policy debate in America is missing the voices of veterans. And you're going to find out why their voices are so important next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity. With your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity, everyone. I'm Michelle Tafoya. I'm thrilled about today's episode. I really am. Let me preface it by saying this. I'm a huge believer in preparation. Like my whole 30-year career covering sports, it was all about preparation. I remember John Wooden saying, and for those of you who don't know John Wooden, please Google it. Uh, He was a multiple uh, national champion uh, winning coach, UCLA basketball coach, a legend. So you probably know who he is, but he would always tell his players failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And every time I was stuck in the in the tedious preparation for my work on Sunday night football or Monday night football or whatever I was doing, I would hear that in the back of my voice, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. There's another good one that says luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So anytime you find luck, generally somewhere preparation is involved. And so this leads me to this question. How prepared are we as a country to face potentially another 9-11, another war, or anything else that may affect the homeland militarily or our interests abroad. This is a little bit of a scary time in that we see the numbers of enlistments in all the branches of the military are down. And so I'm really, really happy to welcome a couple of gentlemen to, to talk to us about that. Jason Church is the chairman of Veterans on Duty and Jimmy Byrne, is uh, finishing up his JD MBA at Yale Law School. He's also an advisory on the board of Veterans on Duty. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us on, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. Obviously, it's great to share a microphone with you today and talk about some of the things that both Jimmy and I have seen going on in the military for a long time now, and that's really a lack of focus. It's what started Veterans on Duty. It's what brought us together is seeing the problems of the Pentagon and, like you said, a lack of preparedness, a lack of being able to counter the threats and the enemies that face America. For those of us that put on a uniform like Jimmy and I, that's personal. 
it's personal because we've seen the consequences of when we do not prepare adequately for war. We've seen what happens when people don't have the best training equipment or quite frankly, preparation through training for battle. It costs lives. Yeah. It costs lives. And at the end of the day, Veterans on Duty is going to fight day in and day out to not only make sure that the political leaders, the ones who aren't necessarily even close to the battlefield in Washington are held accountable, but also make sure that the warfighter has the tools for success. So Veterans on Duty is very amped for this. We are really bringing the fight to Washington and will continue to do so and continue to grow as the years go by here. Well, you guys are fairly new. And the way I found out about Veterans on Duty is I, I read the Wall Street Journal every day. And there was this article in the opinion section, what if they gave a war and everybody was woke? And the author was Jimmy Byrne. And Jimmy, I I reached out to you. I was like, I got to talk to you on my podcast. And then you said, well, you got to have Jason too. So I'm so glad to have you both. But, But Jimmy, a little background on this article. What if they gave a war and everybody was woke? How did you and the Wall Street Journal connect to, to, to publish this? Yeah, Michelle. Well, first of all, thanks for uh, having us on today, and uh, I, you know, echo everything that Jason said. Um, I'm really excited to be here. And um, one thing I have to thank you for personally is I, I saw that you did retweet our article uh, when this came out. So I'm, I was very thankful for that, and thank you for sending it out so everybody could read it. Yeah. Um, so some of some of the background of this article. So um, over the last 18 months, two years, uh, really since the the Biden administration took over um, at the Pentagon um, and in Washington. Uh, I've talked to a number of veterans, um, not well, not only veterans, but also active duty service members who have been more and more concerned with some of the things that they've been seeing in the news that gives the appearance that the military has become very politicized. And, and most of this stuff um, relates back to things like critical race theory, um, which we've seen some proof has been um, pushed in the military um, all the way up by everyone, all the way up, including senior commanders. Um, it's being taught at uh, service academies, and we've also seen quite a bit of, uh, I, w- I would call, fringe uh, sort of gender activism going on as well in the military, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. And we saw a report recently that showed that um, there has been a massive recruiting collapse um, in the military in the last two years. And there's a lot of concern um, that, you know, the branches are going to be, you know, potentially, uh, as, you know, as, as low as or short as many as 28,000 um, people by the end of 2023. And so um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about in this article and I wanted to talk about was uh, the potential effects on this recruiting crisis from the appearance that the military has become politicized. Um, you know, I've heard from people who are telling their, uh, their family members, and, and we're talking about families with storied military traditions, um, that are telling their family members, you know, young, young kids or teenagers that, you know, would be a, a prime recruiting target for the military, um, that they, they may not want them to sign up for it or are encouraging them not to because of this appearance that they're seeing. Um, and that that is very concerning um, to me. Certainly, I, I don't have kids. I would still encourage them to go in the military right now. Um, but the fact that I'm starting to see that out of a lot of people, uh, particularly those who privately lean conservative, um, concerns me because the traditional recruiting base for the military is geographically located mostly in the South. Um, and many of those people tend to lean conservative. And indeed, many military people privately lean conservative. Um, they're seeing these things happening and it is concerning them. And so I wanted to write an article about it. And we reached out to the Wall Street Journal after um, we had initial drafts for it. 
um, did some back and forth with the editors. They loved the idea and uh, they agreed to, to publish it. And we were very happy that they did. Yep. And I, I, I'll send it out again and again. I posted it on every platform that I have. So you guys referenced one thing here and for our entertainment and also for the edification of our audience or maybe education. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Let us explain a little bit by virtue of this video what's going on. I mean, this to me is... It's at the same time shocking, hilarious, and terrifying that the Navy is teaching the appropriate use of pronouns. And we have a little bit of tape here. We're going to roll it for you, and we'll get your reactions again. This is from the the Navy. Go ahead, uh, John Berg, my producer, and roll some tape. Hi, my name is Johnny, and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Kanchi, and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name, and it's also how people refer to us in conversations. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. It is a signal of acceptance and respect. If it's a signal of acceptance and respect, how do we go about creating a safe space for everybody? That's a good question. A really good way to do that is to use inclusive language. Instead of saying something like, hey guys, you can say, Hey, everyone, or hey, team. Okay, I got to stop right there before my head explodes. You know, (laughs) this, uh, Jason, first of all, there's an idea about the military that that you sort of leave your safe space and your independence at the door. Like you're part of a, he says, hey, team. So instead of saying, hey, guys, hey, say, hey, team, uh, whatever. How do pronouns come into play in the military? Why should they? I have no idea why the Department of Defense would be pushing really this type of prerogative on the on the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines of our armed forces. Uh, it's pretty funny, actually. We've seen not only stuff like this be pushed out, but different memorandums pushed out through different commands across the U.S. about trying to change or identify a pronoun that's going to be used within the service or within their respective units. I mean, look, I mean, Jimmy and I both come from the officer world. I mean, I've always referred to a superior as sir or ma'am. Uh, I don't know, you know, how, how they would do that now if the commanders <laughs> that are called those things are trying to give guidance the other way. That just doesn't really make that much sense to me. But again, this shows that the focus of our elected officials right now in the White House and therefore the political appointees that make up the Pentagon are focusing on political objectives, political objectives, not military objectives. 
They're trying to implement social change by whatever they feel is the appropriate mechanism. And this point right now is the military because the military is one area of society that has to conform to orders. I mean, you can't quit your job. You quit. It's AWOL. You know, you go yeah. to prison. You know, you, you you are forced to do what your commanders tell you to do. And that, in this situation, allows them to push some very left-leaning stuff down the throats of our service members. And the problem is, I mean, that's just bad to begin with, Michelle. But the other problem is that this takes priority over different types of training. You know, if you're spending hours and hours trying to get this grammatically <laughs> different approach to the English language to a bunch yeah. of soldiers, sailors, and airmen, and Marines, you're not focusing on being able to fire a rifle. You're not focusing well, on being able to understand your commands. And yeah. I would imagine that, that the time you spend in the service in, in the armed services, it, your schedule is pretty packed. I would guess there's not a lot of leisure time or time for this kind of lesson. And I, and J- Jimmy, I'm just kind of wondering like, why, what, like, I, I get the politicization, you know, trying to bring politics into it and this, this, this move toward these gender acceptances, but we've gone years and centuries without this. And why? I, I, do you have a? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I think the military before we started doing, or before the military started doing any of this type of training, I mean, I felt like people treated one another pretty respectfully, regardless. Um, and, and it was something that you would tell, you know, your soldiers or sailors, airmen, Marines, whoever it was, you know, be respectful of other people. And, you know, we're a team, we're all going to work together and, and move towards this common goal. And to your point about, you know, resources, I mean, you know, last year there was this extremism training that was done, um, after January 6th, um, which focused almost strictly on white supremacy um, and the, the Congress Senate, the Senate in particular asked, you know, the Pentagon, you know, how much did we spend in man hours and, and money in doing this extremism training that frankly offended a lot of, of soldiers, um, which we found out, you know, when there was a memo released last summer regarding this, um, from some whistleblowers inside the military, you know, they, the Pentagon used something like a quarter million or half a million dollars in 5 million man hours. And that's not counting, you know, the salaries that were paid during that period of time, um, to do this sort of training and the training itself, uh, to your, your, your point as well about that video, um, you know, towards the end of that video, it, it refers to people who, you know, use this sort of language as being allies, right? So if you if you walk up to someone and you use the term guys to refer to a giant group of people, yeah, it, you know, you're not being an ally to your fellow service member. And I mean, that is a, you know, if taken to an extreme, that is a very divisive idea that should not be finding its way into formations out there to create this, you know, they talk about creating inclusion, but what you're really doing is you're labeling certain people allies based off of really a political ideology. And then what does that make everyone who's not an ally that's standing next to you in the formation? Um, and that, you know, those are concerning ideas between resourcing and this sort of divisive language. Um, you know, these are not really things that we want in our military. And I really highly question, you know, the Pentagon's uh, strategy in doing something like this. It's such a great point that you say, it, it, you know, you're an ally. And if you don't do it, then geez, what are you? I'm standing next to a guy who won't recognize my pronouns. Uh, gee, I feel unsafe. I mean, this is 
This is so counterproductive. And I think CRT as well needs to be discussed. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about how that has made its way into the military and what the ramifications of that may be. Right, right back after this. Well, as we're talking to these amazing vets, um, it, it, it makes you think about all the strife in the world, all the things that we're up against, particularly economically. We've got inflation that's right around its worst point in 40 years. We've got gas prices that still make your stomach turn. You go to the grocery store and you think, can I afford what I usually buy here? These are all short-term decisions that you have to look at and make. There are long-term decisions too. And I suggest you invest in gold and silver and make that part of your portfolio for the long-term play. And the people that I trust when it comes to buying gold and silver, legacy precious metals. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and it protects against a weakening dollar, which is what we're experiencing right now. So it's a good idea to have this as a hedge in your IRA, in your 401k, wherever you want to put it to help protect you in the long term. Legacy Precious Metals. These guys can answer all your questions. So just give them a call and do it soon. Remember 2008? The folks who invested in gold saw huge gains and other people simply lost their retirements. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com or give them a call. You can speak to an IRA expert by calling 1-866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Back with Jason Church and Jimmy Byrne of Veterans on Duty. Again, a fairly new organization and fighting back at some of the, uh, against some of the, I don't even know what to call it anymore, political correctness, this, this uh, wokeness that is infiltrating the, the military of all things. It, it is one thing to, to bring it into a, a social group. It is quite something else to bring it into the military. Um, Jason, CRT, what is your understanding of how this is being worked into, whether it's at the academies or, or any any branch of military? How, how is CRT uh, being worked into what people need to know if they're serving? Well, we've certainly been seeing this at the top level. Uh, over the last couple of years, whether it's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, or the CNO or the top officer in the Navy, have been pushing these radical ideas from some perspective for a while. Um, the CNO was, was probably the most uh, alarming a few years ago when he put Ibrahim Kindi on the you know a, you know a reading list for Navy officers. And for Is this your- mandatory reading. I think it's recommended reading, Um, but when it goes on that list, it's kind of a priority setting thing for officers within the Navy. So it gives them guidance on what their senior leadership is also viewing as academic material. So Ibrahim Kendi, for your listeners that aren't familiar with with him, pushes this idea of uh, anti-racism, which is really just, in my opinion, reverse racism. He says, okay, racism exists, therefore we need to be racist back. Um, and I think that's really the synopsis of his book. Um, and this is now being pushed for officers. It certainly was for, in the Navy. Um, and what kind of divisive 
rhetoric is this? I mean, it's literally telling you to be racist. I, I, I have, I am floored that this was actually something that was put in the Navy's official reading. You know, units in our armed forces come, as Jimmy was saying, from all across our country. And we have people from different backgrounds, different religions, and different sexual orientations that serve in the armed forces and do it honorably well and to the fullest extent that they are capable of physically doing. And to bring in some idea that we should be treating people differently because of their skin literally runs counterintuitive to what Martin Luther King Jr. was saying decades ago. So to see this now being pushed within the military, we've already seen the problems in the schools. We've seen that there's been issues right now in our education system, but to see it within the military is incredibly concerning because again, you're going into situations where commanders make decisions, life or death decisions. People make hard calls And sometimes that requires being able to just look at the rank of the person, being able to see what you can and can't do. And when we put this paradigm that you have to be looking at someone because of the color of their skin, it runs against everything the military stands for. There is one flag that we fight for, and that is the American flag. To see any other mentality brought into the fold is something that is destructive and, quite frankly, very frightening. And frightening why? Because 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 you think it's going to impact the way decisions are made? Of course. I mean, we're already seeing that this is impacting how promotions are being done. Remember, the military, we, we have people who are serving and they're required to serve. They can't quit. But at the same time, you also have a system of promotion, especially for officers and senior enlisted. And to make those promotion blocks, to be able to climb the ladder, Oftentimes, certainly when they're younger in rank, they have to check the block. They have to do what their superiors are telling them to do. And if it's implementing elements of CRT, I can tell you that that will have terrible effects on the lower enlisted, people who are not necessarily the decision makers. They're just the ones that are doing what they're told. I'm fortunate that my own brother right now, who's serving in the Ranger Regiment of of our Army, isn't necessarily as... they've, They've kind of blocked themselves off from some of this, to be honest with you. But... To see that with others, others that I've served with, others that I know that are going into the service from all across the state of Wisconsin or America, that's stuff that gets people killed. Because inevitably, if you're prioritizing something to get promoted over the welfare of those who are serving or subordinate to you, the consequence, the price is paid by those that have no other option than to follow an order. Uh, it, it, that, that is scary. I want to go through some of your your priorities. I, I've have, I've got the VOD again. It's vet, uh, vetsonduty.org. I've got the the website in front of me. Um, Jimmy, an America that wins is the number one priority, and it just it. I feel like we're fighting against this anti-American sentiment, particularly among young people uh, today, and so it, it's as though they don't take pride in the fact. They don't take pride in America's greatness. Um, many of them, they they don't they see the American flag as something ununifying. Gosh, I was watching football last night, and I was so pleased to see whenever you know they played the anthem because it was nine eleven, and they would cut cut the pictures, and you know you'd see some guys singing along with the national anthem. That just makes my heart swell because I, I, I know how those people feel when that anthem is played but not everyone feels that way and we went through this in the in the the national football league we saw players kneeling during the anthem 
Jimmy, where's this? What's this? The root of this not wanting America to really win and be successful and be the exceptional country that it is. Uh, you know, Michelle, I've been trying to figure out, you know, how this has shifted over the years the way that it has. I mean, it's it, it's this just, I guess, innate cynicism, I feel like, that has like taken a hold of a lot of the American people. And, you know, when we look at some of the things that are, are being pushed in, in the public, you know, and, and I'll use CRT as an example on this. I mean, we talk about, you know, there's been a lot of pushback in schools and in education, Um you know, about some of these ideas that are being taught that Jason just talked about. And, you know, if you, if you read things like what Ibram Kendi wrote or some of these other CRT folks or, or people, you know, in politics right now, you know, they always focus on, you know, the worst parts of America. They want, Mm -hmm. they want to, to bring out and and elevate the worst parts of American history. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to talk about, you know, the dark times in American history. And I, I think you actually spoke about this recently on your podcast. You know, we, we need to to look at America for all of its good parts and its bad parts. Sure. But what these, these people tend to do is they tend to focus on, you know, all the bad parts and they look at, um, you know, they look at documents like the Constitution and rather than, um, you know, talking about the ideals that we want to live up into in that document, which, you know, has been formed over time by blood and sweat and politics and everything else. They, they don't want to even acknowledge those ideals as being positive. They want the entire system to be torn down. Um, and, and you certainly see that in a lot of these CRT readings and in other, in other areas of the of society as well. And so I think the thing that we really, I mean, frankly need to do right now is really take stock in, you know, our fellow Americans, frankly, um, in, in some ways, regardless of whatever side of the aisle they are, and try to find that one sense of unity that really brings us all together. When we get into this identity politics stuff, um, it, the whole purpose of it is to divide everyone. Yes. You know, it's to turn you into these tribes and turn you against one another. And what we really need to do is focus on that flag, that red, white, and blue that Jason talked about. Um, and, and find the common thread that brings us all together so that we can be focused on the larger, you know, potential dangers that are going on in the world right now. And, and Jason, it feels to, to me like that common thread, the last time we felt it perhaps was 9-11. And it took that, that tragedy, that horror, that, I mean, that earthquake of a moment in this country to to make people recognize that there are, outside threats that want to bring us down and we we're just we're we're stronger than that we're better than that we want more than that but is that what is that where that thread's going to come from again where else do we find that thread of unity because we're not getting it from the white house no we're certainly not getting it from the white house if anything we're getting a more divisive rhetoric because again it's about getting reelected it seems like is a little bit more of a priority than making sure people understand how wonderful of a country we live in i, I remember where i was on 911 i mean i was in 7th grade yeah. <laughs> you're just a little younger than i am but go ahead well i mean the reason i say that is because i was directly affected by what happened i obviously went over to afghanistan 10 years later i actually lost my legs over in Afghanistan fighting yeah. uh, because of what happened on that day. I would not have known that as a seventh grader walking through my cafeteria in northwestern Wisconsin knowing that. But it also affected my family. I mean, my father de- mobilized, uh, was activated, he was in the reserves, and then went to Afghanistan after I did. You know, these are the kinds of things that 
our service men and women and the families that support them go through. And so to see how divided the country has gotten since 9-11 to now is, is really disheartening because a lot of us put on the uniform irregardless of politics. I mean, it is really to defend this nation because the opportunities and the, quite frankly, liberties that we have in this nation. I think that part of the problem, again, has been prioritizing politics over patriotism in a lot of ways. And, and, and I think Jimmy hitting it on the head there about the Constitution and how the left is really attacking it. I think a lot of this stems, too, from their academics. Uh, again, this doesn't happen without yeah. <laughs> certain people leading and pushing this. I mean, Jimmy goes to, to Yale Law. I'm a Wisconsin law guy. And in law schools across the country, you're seeing left-wing progressive interpretations of the Constitution pushed down. What that does is it actually affects everyone else. It affects everyone you know, throughout our society, when you have people saying the Constitution is this flawed document, when you have people saying that in the New York Times, for example, going out and literally questioning the founding of this nation, yeah, saying that it's 1619 project. Yeah. Right? I mean, my goodness, yeah. Michelle, I mean, if, if we're literally trying to say that the foundation this country has grown on is flawed, what do you have to work on? What, what is there to build up from? What is there to change? I mean, nothing, no human creation is perfect. None. No human creation is perfect. But we do over time the best we can. And this country was given, I believe, uh, a blessing to have the, the opportunity, liberty, land, and ability through our Constitution, through the sacrifices of all the men and women who have died in this nation, to give what we have today. So to see it, just attacked vigorously by the left shows me that they're not even interested in building the country right now. They're interested in attaining more political power. So veterans on duty, we're the people who have put on a uniform, fought for the country, but we also see how that is being taken advantage of by the people in the White House right now, how they're using the military as a platform to project social policies that are not only destructive to the military, but destructive to society. So we're going to call them out on that, but we're also going to say, look, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to not, you know, have the same political opinions. But to say that the country itself is flawed and its founding is something that we will fight every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I And, you know, it's that argument that, oh, it was written by a bunch of white men who owned slaves and therefore how could it possibly – but instead of actually looking – at the words and the meaning and the the point of it and the 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 gifts that it gives us and the freedoms and the liberties that it gives us and ultimately which this country fought for it, it, it's almost as though Jimmy the civil war has been forgotten <laughs> like it never happened like there weren't hundreds of thousands of people willing to die to end this thing to end slavery that that happened and then they'll say, yeah, but then there was Jim Crow. Yes, that happened too. But we have, no matter what, we've continued to progress from this. And I, I, I don't know where the benefit is by drawing us back, except that, I mean, I hate to be cynical about it, but the, the mentality of it seems, you know, there are some who call them race hustlers who, who do this because they make money. See Al Sharpton and, and, and I'm not sure exactly why this grievance 
because while there, I'm sure that there's going to be racism till the end of time. There always has been racism. There always will be. And as you guys pointed out, it, it does go in both directions. So I, I'm just not sure what the benefit, uh, where they look and say, I'm making the world a better place by being really pissed off about our history. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really understand a lot of it either. I mean, you know, I, I understand, you know, like what we've already discussed, the, the fact of, you know, people looking back on things like the Jim Crow South and trying to understand that history so that we make sure that it doesn't happen again. Right. Um, the, the thing that I don't understand, you know, is like you said, this um, preclusion to want to go back and sort of almost segregate society again. I mean, this sort of use of the word or the term safe spaces is being used. I've seen it in a lot of colleges and universities, um, you know, being used as an excuse to literally create spaces where certain races are not allowed to be, yep. you know, present. Yeah. Um, and, and those, I mean, all that does, as you said yourself is, is it divides us and it doesn't move us forward. It, it completely puts us back, you know, in the fifties or sixties, you know, trying to rehash the civil rights era again. And I think the the bigger problem in all this is that, you know, we, we focus on these things. Um, but we don't, we're, we focus on these things, but what we end up doing is, is we end up papering over actual issues in society that we can actually look at and try to fix and make better um, by just, you know, repeating these platitudes about, you know, race or white supremacy or, or attributing everything to these, these issues. Um, a lot of times when you look at, uh, you know, a lot of these people that are pushing these things and you start asking them to explain some of the data or to look at a research or a piece of research that says something separate from what they agree with, you know, they'll look at those things and they'll just say, well, that's racist. And it's like, yes. well, if, if you're doing those things, you're cutting the conversation off. We're not going to yeah. be able to find that common thread we talked about and be able to move the ball forward on real issues if we're just papering over it all by saying that, you know, everything's racist, sexist or whatever else it is. Whatever else so, it is. It's always one yeah. of those. It's like Hillary Clinton yeah. said about the deplorables, <laughs> racist, sexist, misogynist, anti this, anti. I mean, it's so despicable of a way to just halt conversation. And that's what it's designed to do. And by the way, it works with a lot of people. Uh, it does yeah. not work on this podcast, however. Um, guys, we're going to go for a part two. And so we'll take a break here. This is Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Join us again tomorrow for the conclusion of this podcast. Well, Sideline Sanity, we are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what, does that, what does that tell you? You know, that's the scary thing. Um, I think, you know, economies and, and, and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation, calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying this is going to be here. This is long term. This is not short term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long term. And why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years. 
which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we, we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it, it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place and they reacted way too slow. And this is why we're at where we're at. So if I'm an investor, then what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me? You know, that, that's a great question. And that's a question we get a lot. And and really what gold and silver do, um, they act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets. And we know that the Dow and, and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies of saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be, um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. This is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it, you forget about it, let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time as the dollar gets weaker, as the purchasing power gets less, gold and silver increase. It protects that purchasing power. And that's the great thing about it. And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve-wracking times for people. You know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the, the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And... and we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now. And we'll probably do another half a half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks pay to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 9, 10, possibly even 11 percent. And it's it's a scary time. And this is why we say, OK, know that it's coming. Don't be afraid. You, you now are aware. So now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do. Don't be afraid. Prepare. Just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, 
Thank you so much. My pleasure as always. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.